0: Welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher and joining me today is Edmonton City Councilor of Ward 6, Mr. Scott McKean. Scott, I want to thank you so much for joining me today, my friend. Now, once we got connected on here, we just sort of dove right in and I said, you know what? Let's hit record. I know you have a lot to say, a lot that we want to cover in this hour. Um, We're in the right mindset, so let's just dive in. We'll we'll cut the small talk. Tell us about your road into municipal politics in Edmonton here and kind of how it all relates to mental health, because you're involved with a couple initiatives and your and your personal story also ties in as well. So, sir, the floor is yours.
1: So my favorite topic is me obviously, as a, <laughs> as a politician. Um, but, yeah, I, really, I I have a, I have a propensity to, to talk a lot. So I'm going to try to do this in a fairly brief way so that we can cover more topics. But for me, an anxiety disorder emerged in, in my late teens, which then descended into a deep, dark depression. Now, my explanation for that is if you're living daily with extreme fear, panic, anxiety, life really starts to suck. And so depression for a lot of people with anxiety disorders is, is, uh, is pretty common. And I think they're, they're they're clearly related. I think from, from what we were starting to see around, um, understanding the brain better. So that led me to, uh, I, I don't, I can't explain it fully, but, uh, I kept putting one foot in front of the other. Um, got married had kids had a career in journalism I was at the Edmonton Journal for 24 years and for 12 of those I covered City Hall so four as a reporter and then my last gig was as the civic affairs columnist for the Edmonton Journal and some older people might remember that and then in uh, 2010 I left actually to run for council a group of sort of uh, people try to convince me to do that. And I decided to do it. The journal was starting to circle the drain, uh, big media companies have, uh, you, you've gone into this sort of death spiral. Yeah. So I left, I got a buyout and left ran for council, didn't win. Did three years of my own sort of communications company, ran again in 2013, got, a, got elected. And I've been, so this is my second term. I'm not running again. Uh, for reasons that are very related actually to who I am, my personality. And, but when I ran, one of the things that I saw so much cynicism in the public about politicians and covering city hall for those 12 years, I got to know many of them quite well, and I could see they were just folk trying to do well by their community, Yeah, not all of them, but mostly they're just kind of regular people. Trying to do a good job for the community and I thought that cynicism was unfair. So when I ran one of the things I told myself was um, Be who you are works at all uh, and so the first term I talked about my mental health issues and then the second term I talked about my uh, you know that I'm uh, about 15 years into recovery from alcohol use Um, and we could talk about terminology later if you want, but I was just reading a piece on this, on describing addiction on a spectrum. So I was pretty low or medium, moderate on that spectrum, but my dad was an alcoholic and he got really, really bad. So with that, the gift of that knowledge, I quit pretty early and then, um, joined 12 step and I've been to thousands of 12 step meetings over the years and just learned a ton about, uh, me about support, about the nature of community. So that's the rough outline and I'll try to, uh, I'll try to stop there.
0: <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of places we can go there. Um, uh, one of them being, uh, I can, I can personally relate, um, to, the uh, alcohol addiction side of it. I have a close family member who is recovering and uh, they're they're doing fantastic now. But that is a long, arduous road. And the fact that you're you're open about it and you can. I think the best part for me is that you're open to celebrate it. And that's one thing that uh, I really try to advocate is when you when you overcome maybe maybe a, a line of thinking, if you thought a certain way for many years and you learned you know, a new language um or a way to way to speak about people or, or a new way to view people uh, we're seeing it now with uh with every child matters a lot of people are playing catch up with terminology and 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 things that are ingrained in us so I like to celebrate that growth um instead of really chastising them for the way that they thought before I think uh to to keep looking forward and to say you know what um you know let's not judge you too much on the past but um, let's focus on the future. I think that's a, it's it's great that you kind of look at it that way and you're like, you know, this is where I was and this is where I am now and it's impressive.
1: We, could, we can debate political correctness. And I actually think there are times where we should debate that or, or should have a th- real discussion about it. But um, people who are in the throes of an addiction are extremely ashamed, ashamed, full of shame. So, to, you know, to apply labels like alcoholic or addict, those are pretty hard terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but, you know, people with an alcohol use disorder or people with an opioid use disorder, those get a little clumsy, right? I understand it. I'm trying not to use addict or alcoholic in my terminology, and in part because as the counselor for the downtown, there's so much addiction and homelessness, in the areas that i represent and so i i talk about them you know people with uh opioid addictions you know mm-hmm. it's um you know and it's it's a it's a it's an illness uh, yes. and i think more and more medical science is proving that out and and there's some old myths we have to get over about you know laziness and partying and immorality yeah. and you know those you know having having had years where uh, I drank to overcome you know in some ways it's i had two things overcome anxiety yes but more was to feel and to feel some sense of joy or even a just a small taste of euphoria once in a while which i think is a gift of a sort of healthy brain that you can have those experiences in your life you know and i can't blame anybody who who reaches for um activities or substances to distract themselves from these repetitive negative fearful thoughts that they have and that's that's the unhealthy brain that leads to to depression anxiety and addiction
0: yeah like as as a student of psychology myself i'm just i'm kind of learning about um how that is all intertwined um and it's a it's a nice way to kind of unpack some of those myths when you when you learn a bit of the science behind it Um, I'm a big proponent of asking why I like to know people's stories, um, because that tells you more than just, uh, you know, just what they're, what they're dealing with, what their affliction is. So to speak, every, everyone has a story and everyone has a reason. Um, just, just candidly, I, I was homeless myself, uh, at 20, I was evicted from my apartment, um, unceremoniously on a Wednesday or something, um, came home from work. I was double locked out. And that was it. That was the first night I slept in a bank vestibule and I spent about uh, about two months on the streets. It was quite the juxtaposition. Like I, I went to high school in, in a real nice suburb outside of Edmonton here. City boy um, did not know what I was doing uh, after that first night when I slept outside. And um, back then I didn't have didn't have a cell phone or, you know, I was I was on my own. Right. It was kind of a different time. Um, and I saw my friends so infrequently in my family. I was estranged from at the time. Nobody missed me. It was just day after day after day. So then I, you know, I stole my first uh, food <laughs> to eat and then uh, I'm sleeping wherever. And I I ended up uh, like befriending uh, people downtown who uh, who kind of looked at me and it, it was humbling because they saw they saw that I was a uh, way out of my element, and um, you know, I had a, like a nice leather jacket and one pair of clothes. And they said like you need help, um, so you don't get in real trouble uh, or danger, right? So, uh, so a couple of them kind of took me under their wing, and they said, "Well, stay away from him, um, but you know if you need a place to crash, uh, we'll help you out." It was quite an eye-opening community, and it's tough to talk about Scott, like even even right now um i get a lump in my throat because of the humanity that uh some some of those folks showed me and they were dealing with some really heavy stuff i was just i was just locked out um of my apartment basically but uh to <laughs> it was really something and uh it it taught me uh, to look at people in a different way uh, i've carried it for my whole life my mom lives uh just off 97th and 118th that's her, that's her home base. She loves it there. And uh, if you're, if you're not, if you're listening and you're not from Edmonton, that's, that's a bit of a, you know, you call it a rough part of town, but that that's where she grew up and she, and those people who live in though and grow up in those areas, that's, that's her people. And she doesn't look at any of them any differently than you would look at a doctor or lawyer, or wherever you want to have the classism in this conversation. And I I apologize for my language used to I'm still learning how to what the vernacular is to kind of describe uh, different different people here. But what uh, the the word that you represent, I mean, it, it does have a lot of uh, a lot of issues that need addressing and it's very layered and it's very complex. So when you uh, when you joined City Council, where did you begin? Like, what was your focus um, as far as helping your community? Where did you go first?
1: Well, and, and this is another layer of complexity. When you're a city councilor, you have, you know, I, I'm not kidding when I say probably 60 files open. And those would be different areas of the community, different subjects, different problems, different issues, plus the downtown councilor. You know, you're the, you you represent an area of town, the business and corporate sector, uh, much of the cultural sector um, um, and then really varied communities from some of the wealthiest people in town to, to people who live homeless. So it's really we're, we're a huge role. I went in naively because I covered councils so I thought I knew everything and I really was humbled to learn that there's so much going on behind the scenes that a counselor yeah. gets pulled into. But, you know, I went to the mayor early on and I said, you know, there's there's these counselor initiatives and what they really do is say, if I want to do anything with with council, I have to get, I have to get a motion before council and get seven votes of support for that. So an initiative is a little more informal, but it allows you to work with uh, people in administration on an issue. Uh, So I was blessed to be on the indigenous uh, initiative throughout my uh, most of my time on council. I've been involved with some heritage stuff. Um, and, but my main one was this, I suggested to the mayor we needed one called, I, I use the term urban isolation, social isolation is probably what people hear more often, but urban isolation and mental health. And uh, council agreed to it and, and away we went. and. The problem being somewhat that um, healthcare, social services are the provincial realm. That's the province's responsibility to fund and look after. But what happens at the city level is we deal with the problems on the street. We see those issues, we're really close to them. We can see there's a bunch of gaps. and and failures so we try to pick up some of the slack which we can only do so much because you can only put so much pressure on on the civic budget because there's only one real way we raise money and that's on the property taxes so we have to be really careful but the mayor agreed uh council agreed and away we went and you know i think um one of the Great things out of this was just raising more awareness and that was you know a lot of it Chris was me just going to events and speaking and telling a bit about my story with the idea that believe me I think I'm just a schmuck right day to day you know I'm still have big insecurities uh, my self-esteem feel, yeah. is not as high as it should <laughs> not as high as it should be so when I say this I'm just saying, I know that I now wear this title. And this title will, people will see that as really kind of important. So, you know, uh, uh, Scott Schmuck, the counselor goes out and speaks somewhere. They're looking at you as a leader, as a civic leader. So then I talk about my mental health journey. Then I'm hoping that some in the crowd might go, maybe I could do that too. Or maybe I could go back to university. Or maybe, you know, and the message I always gave was, these things are, you can recover from these. You may never be the most confident person in the world. You ne- might never be the most uh, gregariously joyful person in the world. Um, you never, you might never pass by a bar without going, huh. uh, that would be nice. But you can do it. You can recover from all these things and get, stronger and stronger and and more comfortable and maybe even proud of yourself over time if you lead a good healthy life and for me you know and i learned learned this in 12 step chris and i i think you're doing a lot of this right now too and whether you you're just doing it out of a out of your own character and upbringing and values to me what i learned in 12 step was i'm because I'm in pain, because I have mental health issues, I want to solve those mental health issues with a dysfunctional strategy that being drinking. I am tragically self absorbed. You end up tragically self obsessed and self absorbed. So, how do you get out of that? How do you get out of your head? Which can be, you know, those spinning, negative, fearful thoughts. Which, which haunt us all, uh, or all of us who, who have faced this, um, and I think it's through service. I think it's through, and when I see service, I mean uncommon, no, making the uncommon common, and that is a small act of kindness. And you can practice this throughout the day. Um, I'll tell you a recent example. For me, I pulled up, I was behind a van, and the van said, all answers are in the Quran. so I knew this was a, a, an Islamic family. So I was able to, and, and knowing what's happened in Edmonton recently, if not around North America, a lot of uh, acts of, if not hate, real um, small acts of terror against the Islamic community. Uh, it's scaring the bejeebers out of them. Uh, I don't think it's horrible are part of their part of their faith. So. So I pulled up beside their van, and it was a warm day. We had our windows down, and I yelled out alaikum, which is a greeting in Islam. And I could see this woman in a hijab and her husband who was driving. Both looked over at me with big smiles. They're black; it's probably African um, newcomers of the Muslim faith. Huge grins on their face, and then gave the the response, which is. Alaikum Salaam, I think. So what I wanted to leave them with was here's this whiter than white guy. They don't know I'm a city council. That doesn't matter. Right. Uh, what's, I just wanted them to know that some of some of us are cheering them on. And you know what? Like I, I'm not telling this story to make me sound like I'm sort of a hero because I'm not. Yeah. I just it was just a small act of kindness in my day, and I felt great.
0: I mean, you, and they felt great too. It, it, uh, and then maybe the next person that you interacted with or they interacted with, they were a little bit kinder too, or they put a smile on their face and it's, it's so cliche, but it's not like, that's just how it works. That's how you spread kindness and you create a, a sense of community. Right. Um, one of the yeah. biggest buzzwords in, in politics is community, especially municipal politics, community, building community. Um, but not a lot of emphasis I feel, and maybe this is the cynicism that you alluded to before, <laughs> but it doesn't, doesn't feel like we do a lot to create community in the, in the actionable sense that was a, a 30 second interaction that, you know, had, had a profound effect on you enough that you remember it to this day to tell the story and say, Hey, that's uh, that's something that we can do. So,
1: well, and I think, yeah, you the convenience store, you're buying a diet Coke you can just be really friendly, put a smile on your face and thank them. Yeah. Cause that doesn't happen very often during their day. I could tell you when I get an email thanking me or thanking us for the work we do, that is a great day in the ward six counselor's office. We feel a little skipping our step because some, and, and you know, and if it's just like, Hey, you're great. That doesn't mean much, but it's like, this happened, this happened, this happened, I phoned you, you did this, you guys did this and this and this, and everything's better now, thank you very much. It's like, hey, it works sometimes, you know. And and really, you know, I think that's what everybody in elected officialdom wants is to be, to help people. It gets really complex and cynical, and, and, and I don't blame people for being cynical because you know politicians often portray themselves at their worst in question period and legislatures and parliament um you know being really nasty to each other character attacks um and and you know I just kind of quietly want to go away and do good work and if nobody notices in the public sphere I'll be totally okay with it. if I can become Another Chris Marks, I'll be happy.
0: Oh hey, flattery will get you everywhere, Scott. I appreciate that. <laughs> we're um we're both on the same um kind of advocacy path. Like I um uh, I'm a little reluctant. Well, how should I put this? I was reluctant to tell my story until I realized the power that it held. Um to to some and I wouldn't know who until they heard it and they went, wow, that really resonated. Either it was the fact that I shared it, it was what I shared. Um, and then I took a step back from, from that and said, if I could create space for people to, to just be comfortable telling their story, uh, everyone has a story and it, it deserves to be heard. And there's, there's something powerful about giving someone the the privilege of feeling seen. So when somebody shares with me, to me, that's privilege. Uh, they chose me to share a part of themselves if they're being vulnerable. That's privilege. I don't take that lightly. And so when you can give that gift to others for them to pass on with the same attitude, like, hey, if you give me uh, your trust or your story, I'm going to take that. I'm going to hold that as something of value. I think that's that's part of the community building. You're creating connections with people that I mean, we we've all been on vacation somewhere, and you've met that that couple in the hot tub or whatever, and you just click, and you have a real great night. You have a have a cigar together, or whatever. You exchange stories, but you fly home and you're like, man, that was such a cool couple that I met. They're strangers; you'll never see them again. But you, that space was created just to have a, a real conversation, and sometimes that anonymity. Um, before before we went on air, we were talking about social media and the anonymity that kind of gives people a bit more permission to maybe open up sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a, in a negative way. Um, <laughs> but it but it gives them a little bit of space. And I think that's it's a powerful tool. You kind of have to look at it in all ways. And um,
1: no, I was going to say it's baby steps, right? For a lot yeah. of people in mine was baby steps. I when I was at the Abitant Journal, um, I wrote a big piece about a series of stories on Anxiety and Depression and Addiction. And the the entry story into this series was my own story. And um, it was scary. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you, and the journal was really good. The Edmonton Journal, my bosses at the time, were so great. I don't think everybody can say that. So you're taking a risk when you open up to people. But my argument, especially in our primary relationship friendships, uh, our, our, our spouses, even our kids at the right age, is to show them who you really are. Yeah, Tell them who you really are, what your inner world is like. Because they don't know you otherwise. Right. And, and, it, and you if you want to feel really loved or love somebody else, I think we want to love the, the real person. Not a not a, a facsimile, which most of us I walk through life, you know, in this facsimile for, for years. And yeah. I probably still do at times, put me in the right situation, like a city council meeting. Uh, I definitely wear a facsimile of who I am. Yeah. And um, and so I think it's re- that's being able to be vulnerable. I don't think a man really understand this. Their wives really want to know them. Their girlfriends really want to know them. Yeah. Their partner, if it's a gay relationship, their partner really wants to know them and be supportive. And, and you know, most of what we share your, your story about being homeless at age 20, Chris, I, I feel privileged that you told me that because I know about a little bit about the struggles you went through in your life and that that makes you really marvel at you that you were able to get through that, and 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 also, so I got to know you a lot better just through that, and so did your listeners. I don't know if you mentioned it before, but I think that's it's an important part of your story, and that you found community on the street is something that I think would shock a lot of people too.
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's surreal to to think back on um, one of my earlier episodes on this podcast. I talked about it a little bit and and kind of how I have to disassociate remembering Chris from back then. Um, not just because I've grown as a person and I'm older now, but to put it into words um, and to actually accept the fact that that happened because um, it doesn't feel everything leading up to that moment. You know, I was a city boy, loved a you know pretty middle-class life, and then to um, to experience that for, thankfully, like a brief period of time, and then work my way out of it and through some other things, it, it feels, it's strange. It's really surreal. And I think a lot of people who've recovered from uh, trauma in their life and addiction and, and things like that, there, there comes a point when you're out of it, then you can look back uh, on it, like kind of like a page in, a, in your book. And uh, you can open it, you can run your hand over it and feel the words and see it, but you don't have to relive it anymore. And that's, that's a big part of recovery that I try to give hope to people with is that it is ugly and uncomfortable at the beginning and even in the middle. But what you have to look forward to is this page in your story that you can be proud of, that has a place, it's taught you lessons, it's done a lot of things to you um but you don't have to relive it when you read it anymore it can just it can just sit in that book and that that mindset was really helpful to me to kind of and i'm still recovering i still have ptsd i still have night terrors um, and i've worked through that and they're not as uh, prevalent anymore but i still have bouts of depression and anxiety um so you were talking about wearing different hats you know when you're on at council meetings and stuff i think everybody does we all have roles to play in certain situations but the more authentic you can be it's liberating it kind of frees you from having to remember too much and uh (laughs) the the weird thing is you you think you're going to be judged for who you really are um but it's going to do one of two things it's going to humble you to the point where you're like you know what i would love to change this thing about me because i don't like it and that's why i i mask it or i don't share it or people are going to look at you and say, you're really interesting. I'm really proud of you. Like you're cool. You're, you, you're unique, uh, which is what we all crave. Right? So it's, uh, it's nice. It's nice to chat, chat with you about something like this. Cause you're very authentic. I'm, I'm looking at you right now and <laughs> you're just, you're just a guy telling your story. Like it's quite uh, refreshing.
1: Well, we, we apply labels right to people too. And we put them in boxes. So I'm a friggin' politician. So people have their, already have their uh, expectations. They've already sort of labeled you with a bunch of different things. And and I don't like that. I, I really don't like that. Uh, people come at you angry, <laughs> not knowing who you are the stresses. Like it's extremely stressful for me, being a city councilor because, you know, being still, you know, my self esteem or being neurotic I still want to please everybody and make everybody happy. And it turns out you can't actually do that, that there's a lot of decisions we make where some people will be happy, but a lot of other people will not be happy. And that happens all the time. So um, I did want to, and I know you want to get into this a bit, uh, talk a bit about what we were able to accomplish. And I think we raised awareness around mental health at the, at the civic level. There were some people at administration, woman by the name of Jenny Kane, who did amazing work. We we have uh, uh, a suicide prevention strategy that the city worked on with the provincial government and, um, and the post-secondaries. And, you know, it's a fantastic program that I think They felt energized, the administration, that there was somebody on council pushing this stuff that was at their back. So we did some good work, the hello, how are you program. Uh, I don't know how much, you know, which was a way to say, hey, you know, we're we're all people here. You know, why don't you just take a little bit more effort in your day? To, to meet somebody and, and we had benches out that we're supposed to be for conversation. I don't think we cracked that, not it's a really hard thing to crack because I suspect, Chris, you'll know and understand that people with, especially if their mental health issues are significant, which mine were. Uh, so mental health issues and addiction, people tend to isolate themselves. They're hiding, right? And uh, I heard those stories, you know, hundreds of times at 12-step meetings. Uh, People, you know, people actually just drinking at home. So isolation is sort of this collective problem we have in modern cities. People can lead really isolated lives. Uh, Part of that down to lifestyle, uh, broad community issues, uh, you know, before we started, I talked about we've been raised in a culture that focuses on and absolutely demands of us individual achievement. I remember speaking at uh, McEwen University. thing There was probably 100 students there. And I said, and we were talking about isolation and, and the underpinnings of it in our society. And I said, imagine five or six of you went out and worked on a project together uh and you all came back with essentially the same essay because you'd really it would be in a collaborative group i said what do you think would happen and i said oh well, it's possible you would all get kicked out of university for plagiarism cheating, cheating and 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 so that you know in a nutshell again you're in you're in the university no no, no, no it's all on you you might do some group projects But at the end of the day, that final exam, you're all on your own. So we don't learn as much from each other. We don't support each other as much as we could. We don't feel collectively like we're all in this together. It's like, I want to get the best damn mark. I want to be Chris on this test, because if I do, then I'll have better, a better chance at getting a a, a better job. And, you know, I, I can't reverse that. We we can't reverse the fundamentals of capitalism, but I just do think I've been reading stories about how people have, after the experience of COVID, some people are opting out, they're not going back to work and I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but they had exposure to the rat race of their life and how it was making them miserable, mentally unhealthy. So. These are the, you know, I'd love to have these discussions more broadly about the context we live in and how that makes us miserable. So 12-step taught me uh, a a million lessons. But one of them was, so I haven't been going very much 12-step meetings during my time on council, but I'm going back. I got a community. I got a small town waiting for me. And when I show up, they're going, to hey, come on in. Good to see you. And, and I'll be able to make friends. I'll be able to go to as many community gatherings as I want every week. And, and, and at 12-step meetings, we it's been said more than a few times, ah, oh, those poor normies out there, they don't have 12-step meetings to go to. And, and I think there's some truth to that and we haven't created yet, and maybe Chris, this will be something that you'll help create, is uh, community meetings, community gatherings where we can be, where we can pull off the facsimiles and the masks and humbly with kindness, be who we are. That's your job. Go do, go do it.
0: Challenge accepted. <laughs> hey, you know what, Scott? So about two months ago, I started doing this, uh, this thing, uh, called boys night out and pandemic was still peaking at the time. Uh, I've done two of them. I think So, it's just a virtual, uh, like a zoom hangout. Right. Um, and it was four men to come and, uh, the whole premise was, uh, I'm, I know you're not a drinker, but I said, I would crack a beer at the beginning. You guys are welcome to crack a beer and let's just bullshit about, about mental health. Um, and the first two were, were a huge success. The guys came out, uh, the feedback I got, uh, they really appreciated it. I had a blast. It was fun. Told a bit of my story. Uh, we were just talking about how to find your words, how to just be a dude navigating mental health. Um, because uh, we just tend to have a tough time figuring it out the way we've been raised social constructs and all those things but my my plan was to make those live events and uh, I'm a musician you are too um, to maybe work in a little entertainment have a night out where there's a little bit of facilitation in there and and some things just to relax just to normalize it right Um, to create that community and to have some of these guys maybe make some friendships and Uh, and say, hey, you're here because you're curious about mental health. Cool. Me, too. Uh, Well, that's something that I never would have (laughs) talked to my buddies about. Um, So let's be friends. That's kind of my hope. Hopefully it started that ball rolling. That's something that I'm passionate about because I I, I'm a people person. You are, too. There's so much power in just getting together and uh, the the tough conversations, the stigma. I'm I'm torn about it, uh, Scott, because I know it exists. Um, but I really believe it doesn't have to, like some of this stuff isn't as hard as we build it up in our minds. And that goes back to my mental health struggles. It was harder in my mind than it was in practice to get help and to do some of the things that I dreaded. Once I got into yeah. that therapist's office, I was like, well, this is great. <laughs> you know, like people are yeah. taking, uh, gym selfies outside the gym for their physical health. I wanted to take a selfie outside of her office because I felt great after. And I was like, well, this is, this, people need to know. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, and, and they're unique experiences, but, you know, it, it can happen for somebody else too.
1: Men, men are a particularly vulnerable population we need to reach. And there was a group, I think they're still around, Ab, it's Men Edmonton. Very much sort of a similar goal. Mm -hmm. One of of the things I really liked about Manhattan was a word they used. And that was masculinities, plural. So that there wasn't just one style of masculine. That somebody like me who likes to kind of dress dandy sometimes, who had a Vespa scooter, loves shoes, um, I'm not handy, you know, uh, that I could still be considered to fit into a definition of masculinity and so I like that the other the other story I want to tell you Chris because there was once a group I was involved with it was a in 12 steps sometimes we'll do these specific groups for women or men and it's sort of they call it a big book study and I did one it was all men and we all knew each other and it was great and we got more open and vulnerable over time and at one point someone brought up the fact of sometimes uh suffering from impotence occasional impotence which is like the most unmanly thing right uh, according to the rules that are written by society right and everybody right. in the every everybody at the meeting admitted to that and we laughed we laughed about it it was so money to recognize, maybe it was a bit of a release of anxiety and,
0: yeah, yeah. And,
1: and and societal pressure on that. I'm sure if women had listened to that, they would have all been rolling their eyes going, well, of <laughs> course that happens.
0: We do the whole time.
1: But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's the kind of BS that men have been um, unfortunately chained to. These these really sort of Hollywood descriptions of masculinity and how, I don't know, the vast majority of us can't live up to it, and so therefore, we are not men, right? We, we're we not we're not manly enough. And, and I was able to, maybe being a journalist, being able to write a lot of stories about this stuff and interview a lot of experts, I was able to shrug off some of that. And at some point in your life, you sort of go, ah, screw it. I can't, you know, and that's way too much pressure, but, but I think for, especially for young men, learn that no, 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 you're not, you're not, you know, you're not going to be able to live up to that. Like nobody wants you or expects you to live up to that, you know, six packs. And, and I I don't want to get too specific about that other topic, but being able to stay up all night or something, it's all such BS.
0: You're right. You got to own who you are. Um, it's easy to say that, but uh, it's funny you mentioned masculinities because last week on the show, um, I had Dr. Michael Keeler who was uh, affiliated with the University of Calgary and that that is his studies. Uh, he did his PhD on masculinities. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation. It was really interesting. And uh, so if you're listening to this, uh, before you listen to that one, uh, go back and listen to that interview because what he did... Um, for his for his final thesis he actually ingrained himself in like a he studied adolescent boys and their upbringing with different styles of masculinity and how they interacted with toxic masculinity and things like that so he was studying that within like a group of high school boys who kind of brought him in and accepted him and and let him hang out so he could watch firsthand how this stuff was navigated from a young age and uh it was it just a really cool conversation and and Like, like you're alluding to, I mean, I felt like I was living a double life, Scott, like I was, I'm a journeyman machinist, blue collar, Alberta, born and raised, played hockey, drink beer. Um, I'm all (laughs) of that, but I would go home. I would write poetry. I would write songs. My two best friends were girls. I, you know, growing up for my little cousins, I would dress up in guys, clothes, girls, clothes, put on plays for them. I love drama. Um, so I had a foot in both of these worlds and uh, one of the things that really hindered me um, for my own personal growth was having to wear one hat you know at work and the other hat when I'm out with my friends and trying to be the life of the party or maybe I'm not feeling it that night and I just want to be a wallflower and um, yeah. I, I I think people have expectations of me and they don't you know i think (laughs) i was too hard on myself i've had to forgive myself for being diverse or or having different interests and raising our kids that way i don't have kids myself um but i love i love kids they're just fascinating and gen z uh like we were talking about earlier i think off air but they have a lot to teach us they're so adaptable and us older older generations we kind of there's this old trope where we got to look down on that. Ah, they're lazy, you know, they're on the TikTok doing the influencer thing. And we think it's all BS, but they adapt so well and they are so open to so many ideas. They have so much to teach us. I'm fascinated by them. I think the younger generation um, is making big, big change, especially in the workplace. And like you said, some people aren't they're choosing not to go back to work or they're going to do gig economy style stuff and uh i think it's amazing i think we need to pay attention um because no one has adapted or had to adapt faster than our young people and they're they're going to teach us how to how to finish our life right we have a lot of life left to live we have to adapt so we have to embrace that Yeah event.
1: there's a quote from ancient Greece i don't know if it was plato but he complained about the emerging generation not showing enough respect and And it's, it's happened every generation since, uh, I want, and I remember writing this in my, I think my journal column, I want and expect the emerging generation to be a little bit rude to challenge us. I mean, they didn't cause climate change. Right. Um, so it would be on, on previous generations to defend that. So be a little bit like, don't hold back. Don't. Like, you know, sure, be respectful to your grandparents. I just mean as a generation. Yeah. Challenge, challenge, challenge. And I I think that's a really important thing. And I do see, I saw a really interesting uh, post recently I read, and it was explaining why my generation and my parents' generation and, and their parents' generation, going back a ways, didn't talk about mental health, and it's because, it was subject to horrible horrible, mad science like ice pick lobotomies, chains in an asylum. Is it any wonder then that when that was sort of the, the, the treatment of the day, you had to be shipped off to an asylum where you're either going to be medicated to the point of oblivion or maybe they'll actually do surgery. It, no wonder there was so much fear around that. So there's been a bit of time and I could see, yeah, I I dealt with um, um, the university and, and Nate's um, student associations on mental health. They came to me because they knew I was sort of involved. And they're just like amazing. They're amazing. Um, how open they are to talking about it. How open they are to recognize that anxiety, you know, especially university years or yeah. eight years, that is a stressful time of life. So
0: we, I feel like we could talk for a long time about, about this. Um, and I'm really, uh, I'm impressed with the work you were able to do on city council, uh, you said you're not running again. So hopefully whoever fills your shoes can kind of. Pick up the ball where you leave it and 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 do more with it um i feel like you're left a bit wanting um i feel like you you kind of wish you you could do more but as a city i think we can and doing the more community stuff and and just getting people involved um making it not not weird that's the whole point of my mental health initiative is to make it not weird it's not weird we all have mental health like it's not weird um and we all deal with things and uh yeah, it's a good slogan, make it not weird. Yeah,
1: and I, I'll <laughs> say one last thing. Um, yeah. The best ideas come out of the community.
0: Yeah.
1: A- and the best, um, if you're going to have momentum behind things, that has to come out of the community. You know, I i think there is a role for government. Um, some people will be shocked to hear me say, but I don't really think government is the answer to a lot of things. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, politicians and government have and corporations have created a culture where people oh, I don't even have to leave home. I can get my groceries delivered, I can get meals delivered, you know, some kinda of, someone come in and clean my apartment. Like we're passive, we've we've been taught to be passive consumers. And 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 the I really yeah. strongly believe One of the pathways out of depression and anxiety is to get out there in the world. And the easiest way to do that is to volunteer. Get involved, get engaged somehow. There's a bunch of election campaigns coming up to people. But there's a million ways to volunteer. And you get, again, it's an act of service that makes you feel a little better about yourself. And you're going to learn things. And you're going to meet people. And you're going to overcome some of your social anxiety over time and get engaged, get engaged, get engaged. And, and, and I'd love to, I think it's, I think it's, you know, absent somebody with agoraphobia, which is tough, really tough. You're stuck at home. Other people need to, and I think the way to do this is to say, I'm offering myself, I'm going to go out there and help people. So that is a, That's a way to overcome your your fear of being judged. Go stock shelves at the food bank. You might not do it exactly right to start with, but there's probably no real wrong way to do it. Um, Right. And and just that, that if you act, if you think of the other person and how you can be kind to the other person or that organization, a lot of your own self-judgment and your fear of being judged evaporates pretty quickly unless you go into politics
0: <laughs> well you, you came out of it not too jaded so i i applaud you for that but that's no it's great advice i mean um i'm i'm one of those guys and very hard on myself too and uh but as soon as i'm around other people uh, you're right it just it kind of evaporates you just be yourself and do your best and and be engaged there there's a lot to do in edmonton i'm still discovering all the ways to get involved and volunteer. Uh that's something I'd like to do more of too. Um and to take, you know, what my niche and as a mental health liaison and 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 grow that and put it out there to see to see what I can do to help that way and to bring other sources together. So you got a lot of great ideas, Scott. I really appreciate your time. So uh we'll have to do this again. I'd like to I'll follow up with you in six months or a year or whatever when you're kind of out of it and you got to a broader perspective again, and uh, we'll have another conversation.
1: And, and please invite me to one of your guys nights. If you feel inclined, I would uh, love to join. I want to have a beer, have I'll have a soda water or something. And, and those might start to expand and, you know, bring other men into it. And cause there's a lot of need out there. And you know, uh, this last thought, there are moments in life where we forget ourselves because we're so engaged with another person or an activity, those are the most precious moments of our life, I think. And so this is why I keep promoting the idea of service and kindness and focusing on the other in that moment, because they really can be blessings.
0: Let's end on that note. That's perfect. Um, couldn't said, couldn't have said it better myself. So Scott McKean, uh, thank you very much, and, uh, and we'll chat again soon, all right?
1: Chris, it's been really fun. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, take care. And to you, the listener, I just want to say thank you. Without your support, this podcast is impossible. If you're interested in supporting the Vive Mental Health Podcast, you can do so in a few ways. First, if you haven't already, please like and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to right now. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Leaving a comment and a review goes a really long way. So if you could take a moment to do that, I would love you forever. Second, if you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and followers. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out. Third, if you'd like to donate to Vive Mental Health, you can do so by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash Health or through buymeacoffee.com, which is a great way to make a one-time donation. I want to add as well that all of the money raised goes into making these podcasts and towards the Vive Mental Health Initiative, which I use to connect with various resources and nonprofits to help with mental health and communities, real boots on the ground kind of stuff. I'll be doing some shoutouts in future episodes as well, so keep an ear out for a heartfelt thank you from me. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, send us an email at podcast at vivementalhealth.com. We would love to hear from you. With that, you can find everything related to Vive on our website, vivementalhealth.com, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at Vive Mental Health, as well as Facebook, YouTube, and even LinkedIn. We're everywhere. I go to great lengths to ensure that the information and resources that I share with you are well vetted and researched, but before you take any of my advice, please consult with a health professional to ensure that you're getting the best care for your specific needs. You can email me personally as well. I love hearing from listeners, and I'll always reply back at chris, K-R-I-S, at vivementalhealth.com with show ideas, comments, questions, whatever you like. Always love hearing from you. So take care of yourself. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you again soon.